I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Matt Hancock to my Nick Hancock. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? I'm very good. Very cold. Borders broke, so I'm uh, I'm having cold showers at the moment. Been having them for the past four days, and uh, it isn't pleasant. That is the worst feeling on earth, isn't it? When the boiler's broken, you're having to have cold showers. I, some people enjoy cold showers. Not for me. Never enjoyed them. Even when it's really hot outside, mm. I've still got to have a warmish shower. Yeah, it takes takes the breath away. It's it's not comfortable. Um, I do feel good for a brief second after it, but then I realise that I need to get warm now. Um, and that's a, that's a difficult thing to do when you don't have any heating. I imagine it's a very Dwight Schrute kind of thing to have cold showers <laughs> to build up immunity to any bacteria outside. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, actually. I'm very, very Dwight Schrute. I'm very Dwight Schrute anyway. Um, but it's a good point. If I am indestructible, it is because of these cold showers. Well, tell that to all the people who abuse you on a daily basis exactly. on Twitter, that you're now indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. It's ironic that we've just had Halloween because some of the things we've seen in midweek have been truly frightful the image of Sonny Bradley's leg in the Luton game is burnt onto my subconscious as we speak but there were also numerous horror tackles and plenty of red cards that would spook even the hardiest of referees so we'll talk about all of them as we go through all the games in midweek in the championship talk about all the action as well and the results some of the news from the past few days and then we'll finish off with did he or didn't he right at the end but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at FansBet fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to 200 pounds terms and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out fans bet responsible gambling tools so burnley were 2-1 down in the 90th minute, but then two injury time goals gave them a 3-2 win over Rotherham United. Incredible scenes here, Justin Peach. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't I uh, was watching the game, I was following it and I thought, wow, Rotherham could, could do this here. And obviously, um, for them not to see the game out is, is, is devastating. But from a Burnley perspective, it's such a good turnaround, such a massive turnaround and, and, and something that... Uh, the rest of the division can go, they've got it. They've got that thing that promotion teams need, that willingness to to, to push and, and keep going to the to the very, very end of a game. Um, and they kept pushing. You look at this, the goal they scored, it was a, a spill by Johansson and then 
um, Decival Glue was there to to pick up the scraps. Um, yeah, it was it was a tremendous um, show of character. I think the only thing you can criticise is they didn't get it done before then because they had plenty of chances to to <laughs> make it easier, comfortable, more comfortable for themselves. But yeah, what a turnaround and and Benson Benson, what a player! Oh my god, what a player! Yeah, it was seemingly becoming increasingly apparent that this just wasn't going to be Burnley's night. They had so many unbelievable chances, so many, and they just weren't going in, try as hard as they might. But Manuel Benton scores a brilliant goal, by the way, which may get lost in the craziness of this game. That was a beautiful strike. And I think that gave Burnley the feeling that this might just be their night after all. Of course, it took until the last kick of the game in the 10th minute of injury time for it to come. But it got there eventually. It, we will have to mention that Rotherham were down to 10 men after 75 minutes after Curran Bramall was sent off. Rotherham weren't happy with that decision. I haven't seen enough times to have a good sound at all. But Rotherham certainly weren't happy with that and said that it would change the game. But looking at it from a Burnley perspective, Manuel Benson was incredible. Again, I don't know what that guy has to do to start a game because he keeps coming off the bench and just tearing up every time he comes off. But he was fantastic. Zorori had a very good game again as well. The whole team really had to dig deep at the end and they got a bit of luck with Johansson parrying the ball straight to, to Savoglu. But that they earned that bit of good fortune, didn't they? Considering yeah. the amount of good chances they created. And it leaves Burnley now sat five points clear at the top of the table. And when you're winning games like this, Justin, given the context of it, I can't help but get the feeling that Burnley are looking more and more like promotion material. That's what I was saying. Is that it's that thing that they've got, that um intangible uh, aura of a promotion winning team who who have the ability to just get back into games to see games out to go into the very last kick of a game um you know it's very rare for that team to have it i don't even think fulham had it to some extent last season i'm not saying burnley were better than fulham by any means but um it takes a while to to, to develop that um niche uh characteristic uh, and and burnley have got it they're showing that they've got it they're, they, they're maintaining it um I thought this was the game. It just felt like the game that Burnley were going to lose um, just because of how it was playing out. Obviously, right then, rather than go down to 10 men and they leave it as late as they do. But as I say, it's just that intangible characteristic that you can't measure, um, that ability to, to keep going. It's a lot of personality in a very young team. And this is why you were saying that despite them having money to spend, they're not parachute payments FC. They're a well-coached outfit and they've got a manager who... Um, who we underestimated at the start of the season, we can gladly admit that, but they are paying dividends for it now because games like this, they are massive, massive markets on the rest of the division. Well, Vincent's company said after the game that his team live on momentum and he's been warned by many coaches who have been top at Christmas about dropping off in the second half of the season. He's right to be worried because we have seen it happen before, haven't we? And what he was saying about living on momentum, it's going to be difficult to do that when you've got a World Cup pausing the season mm -hmm. for a month because that will undoubtedly halt their momentum. But I see no reason why they can't continue to be the best team uh, in the second half of the season. The squad's massive. They've still got players to return to this side. The only thing that could harm them is complacency. But Vincent Company has been a part of Man City teams who have been top of the league by miles at Christmas time. So he'll know all about being too complacent, but hopefully they can continue to show how good a side they are in the second half of the season because they've been a joy to watch and have been a very well-drilled outfit as well. Um, where does this leave Rotherham just in one point from their last four games now? 
Yeah, they've lost 13 points from winning positions so far this season. And despite Burnley creating the amount of chances they did, I think if you're going away from home and you go 2-1 up and you seize upon the mistakes, you know, the Ogbeni goal, for example, is a, a loose pass back um, to, to Murich. Uh, it's a good finish, but I thought Rotherham were good value for the win and they'll be gutted. Disagree with the red card incident. I do think it was a red card. I think Bramwell's momentum's carried him into Roberts. It's a foul. It's a second yellow card if it is, if it is anything. Um, but yeah, it's just disappointing. But I do like what Matt, uh, Matt Taylor's doing at Rotherham. Um, we've seen him take um, elements of Paul Warren and, and, and he's slowly um, drifting over to what he wants and the style that he wants and, and how he wants this Rotherham team to play, which is a which is a major major positive. Um, they'll just be good that they couldn't see the game out, but that's how it is. They were time wasting, and um, the, the referee obviously put the time on at the end of the game, and that's just, that's football. But it's a good it was a good performance, a good enough performance against a team that's very very good. Despite the lack of wins, they still sit 14th in the table. They've got a tricky game coming up this weekend at home to Norwich. But uh, Matt Taylor will certainly be hoping to get something back from that game. Carlos Colbran got his first win as West Brom boss. They beat Blackpool 1-0. Safe to say, this was a scrappy one, but I don't think you can oversell how much a needed three points this was, Justin. A much needed three points, maybe a clean sheet more important, given how bad and disorganised and the mistakes defensively um, that West Brom have been making. I think that's a, a, a major, major thing for, for Carlos Colbran. His teams live on clean sheets. You saw how efficient Huddersfield were last season. So for them to to um, to yeah see out this game, essentially, I think is a, is a massive thing. And as I say, the back four deserves a lot of praise because they were horrendous last weekend um, and they came up against a team who had scored 13 in the previous five games limited uh, limited them to, to no, shot, no shots on target so that's a major major positive I think for West Brom and as I say I think that element of this win is more important than maybe the three points themselves because if they drew the game 0-0 I think that would have been a, a good step in the right direction as well but nonetheless they got the three points and it's a big big confidence boost for, for Carlos Corbett well, you say 0-0 may have been a decent result for West Brom. I'm not too sure it would have been, Justin, because Carlos Colbrand needed this win. The players needed this win. The fans needed this win. It's not by any means the victory that signals the turning point in West Brom's fortunes because it wasn't an amazing performance. They were up against a Blackpool side, which offered very little and were seemingly happy for a point. If it was just a point, I think it would have been the equivalent of a loss for the West Brom supporters who have not been satisfied at all because I think the fans would have looked at this thinking, we should have won that game. Uh, and if they didn't, then they'll be thinking, well, it's another game where we failed to get three points. But they kept battling away, forced Chris Maxwell into making some big saves and they got there in the end. And I think Carlos Corbin will be bloody delighted with uh, that. John Swift had a good game. I remember him playing well against Burnley, but I haven't seen much more than that from him in an Albion shirt so far. So that was a positive. In, f in fact, there were there were definitely positives to take away, weren't there, considering mm. West Brom weren't amazing. No, they, they weren't amazing. But this is what I mean. This is why I think a 0 wouldn't have been a bad result for, for West Brom and Corbyn because um, the first thing they needed to do was show up shop and make sure the opposition weren't getting in on them, getting in on them. And as I say, Blackpool have been very good going forwards. Um, in recent weeks, they've scored 13 goals in five games. They've scored three against Watford, scored a couple against Norwich. They've been a very good team going forward. So it was a big job to be able to keep them out. And that's down to the back four. That's down to Yusoklu coming into the midfield as well. So there are a lot of big performances there. It's just a case of just knitting that together and making sure they, they, 
they breed in that consistency, which is the hardest thing to do in the championship, um, especially when your team's low on confidence. But as you were saying, big big confidence boost to getting a one nil win. Um and they have beaten a good team here. Um it's just gotta get the forwards firing um and got this gotta get the team organised and and going again because that's a difficult thing to do. It says a lot about how much of a wet of a mess West Brom are in that this three points leaves them sat second bottom. It doesn't even take them <laughs> out of the bottom three because of how far adrift they've been. Blackpool offered very little here. Michael Appleton even admitted they didn't look like scoring. Perhaps West Brom deserved more credit for how they defended, but a disappointing trip for the Seasiders. Well, as well as Carver's Cobra and Michael Carrick also got his first win at his new job. Middlesbrough won 3 1 away at Hull, thanks to two own goals by the Tigers. Perhaps a bit fortunate, but Mr. Carrick um, will be delighted to get three points here, won't he? Yeah, massive. And I think the main thing about this win is, is the performances of certain individuals. You look at Chababcom, for example, he's been fantastic um, this season. He's been Bush's most reliable striker, um, but he was a good ball carrier uh, against Hull. He, he threatened quite often um, against the Hull City defence. Obviously got the opener and he's, he's proving to be a, a big, big player um, for Middlesbrough and hopefully will we'll score goals. That justifies him um, staying at the club because I think he's been he's been treated unfairly by, by Wilder. Um, but yeah, Carrick's... I think we saw a lot more out of this team. I still think there were a couple of performances that I wasn't overly convinced by. Um, but certainly if you're coming up against a team who you know you can punish um, you've got to punish them and they they did that I think they got a little bit fortunate with the own goals but sometimes you've got to force those mistakes and they did that Um, but yeah this is certainly a big again a bit like Colburn big confidence boost for for Michael Carrick to to push his ideas across the team and for for his team to to bed them in It is remarkable that out of all the players who have been revitalised under Michael Carrick, it's Tuba Akpom, who I didn't think I was ever expecting to have a new lease of life under whichever new manager come in. But he has been amazing, hasn't he? Of course he got the goal here heading in Tommy Smith's cross, but he really created the chance in the first place with a marvellous run where he took on two or three players, maybe even four, uh, down the left-hand side. But then his pass also led to the third goal. And he also had a very good game against Preston at the weekend, despite losing. So considering the number of talented players, I'm not sure True Brackpon was the one I would have bet on to benefit the most from uh, the new manager. But he's a, he's a very athletic player, isn't he, who has shown on occasion that he has got technical ability as well. Perhaps he's a bit of a confidence player because he's never particularly stood out consistently for me but maybe Carrick has given him that confidence. So I'll be interested to see whether he continues to play well, but without a doubt, he's been the star man under Michael Carrick, hasn't he? Uh, But it is a big first win for Carrick. They'll be keen to take encouragement from this and take it into Bristol City at home this weekend, which is a a very winnable game without a doubt. Still not sure 4-4-2 is the best formation for this squad, but he's got a lot more managerial credentials than me, so I'll take his (laughs) word for it. Uh, I don't think Hall were bad here, Justin, It's just the defence, which has been a problem (laughs) quite a few times now for Hull, and it? They they were the better team for large sections of this game, but it doesn't mean much if your defence is as solid as soggy paper. When they're not pulled apart by opposition players, they're making their own mistakes, like we saw with that first own goal, which is, I mean, it was like Sunday League stuff, wasn't it? And on many occasions this season, we have seen them make calamity after calamity at the back it, it doesn't help when you don't have a manager um, but I think they should have invested more in the defence in the summer 
it's always the case when you have a new chairman, a new ambitious chairman, isn't it? They're like a kid in the supermarket. They head straight over to the fancy new gadgets and the sweet aisle or whatever. But sometimes when you go to the supermarket, you just need bread, milk, some bog roll, you know, the stuff you actually need. And while the likes of Seriot and Estupinen coming in are impressive, they definitely needed some bread, which is in this case some defenders. The only centre-half they brought in last summer was Tobias Figueiredo, who may have been in the Forest squad last season, which got promoted, but I've never been too convinced about him. But I think they also need a ball-winning midfielder because they've been playing Seri and Woods together, who are essentially doing the same job, which isn't primarily winning the ball back. So, without a doubt, Liam Rosinia needs to fix this defence when he comes in, but he may need a transfer window to help him do that. Yeah, completely agree. Side note, which aisle would be the first that you go to in a supermarket? When I was a kid, I used to go straight to see the new, the latest PlayStation games nowadays. I only head in, really, for a few bits and bobs. I never do a big shop, which probably isn't the most financially, economically brilliant way of doing it, but that's usually where I go. Where do you go? Uh, cereal aisle, always. Love cereal. Oh. Absolutely love cereal. I'm a child. You're going to say the vegan aisle or something like that. (laughs) I have a child's palate when it comes to cereal. Cocoa Pops are an absolute dream. Um, What was your question? The side note is distracting. We were talking about how shit Hull are defending. Yes, defensively, absolute mess. They obviously have conceded the most goals in the division. Um, XG, again, has not changed. Set pieces, again, hasn't changed. Um, Yeah, if Rossini is to come in. Looks like he he might, he might well be. He's got a he's got a big task ahead of him um, because, as I say, defensively they just a complete mess, disorganised. And you you are right, they needed to invest in the um, in the back four. I do think Cyrus Christie was a good signing, but he is more attacking minded than he is defensively minded. But that's not a bad thing. You've got to find that balance in that back four. It's inexperienced as well. And Figueiredo, it was a good it was a good um, squad player at Forest, but nothing more than that. And he's he's coming in expecting to do a job of a of a first teamer. He's being uh, found out a little bit, which isn't a criticism. I, I do think he's a, a reasonably good player, um, just not one that you need to rely on or one that you need to to fire up the table. So yeah, there are a lot of problems there. But I think, firstly, it's getting that defence sorted because if they they can create chances, they can put them away. We know they can. They're good at that. They can be good at that. Um, it's just defensively absolute shambles. Yeah, they really, really are. Sheffield United are back on the winning trail, making it back-to-back victories with a 1-0 win away at Bristol City. Good game, this one. I actually thought Bristol City were quite unlucky not to come away with anything. Yeah, it's just typical Bristol City that they don't take advantage of the dominance. It's almost a personality thing, I think, sometimes. That's what it feels like it comes across as, where they've got, the, they've got that ability, forward ability, to be a top-six team, but... They're just not. It just doesn't feel like they're there yet in the mindset. I don't know. I'm I'm speculating here, maybe just chatting absolute nonsense. But that's what it feels like. It comes across as because from an outsider's perspective, I see the Bristol City team as being able to push higher up, and they showed that at times. They showed that in this game that they can do that. They created so many chances against a resolute Sheffield United team who are very good at keeping chances out, especially away from home. Um, and you know, I'd go as far as to say they battered the Blades at times. Um, but it just yeah they just they struggled to get the ball over the line they struggled to um to to convert those those good air, when they got into those good areas um and i can i can sympathize with Nigel Pearson a little bit because he's doing everything he needs to do it's just not quite happening on the pitch 
I thought Alex Scott was unbelievable for Bristol City, Justin. He really deserved at least a goal or an assist from this game and very nearly single-handedly won them at least a point on his own. But he, he is a wonderful talent, isn't he, Justin? Listeners of the podcast know that already because we mention him frequently. The way he glides across the pitch is a joy. There was one moment where he took on three Sheffield United players single-handedly and created a chance out of nothing. But he can also pick a pass. He's got a bit of bite to him as well. And I think if I was a Bristol City fan, I'd, I'd be saying to myself, enjoy him while you can, because he's not longing for the second tier when he's this good at 19 years old. We, we get used to this now, Justin. We don't get too attached to these wonderful talents in the Championship, because sometimes it's pretty obvious that players are just here for not much longer before a Premier League club comes sniffing around and snapping him up because he's an unbelievable, unbelievable talent. Speaking of unbelievable talents, Ilman Ndai was excellent for Sheffield United. Again, seems to be chock full of confidence, getting the goal here, nearly scoring another one with a brilliant bit of skill. Uh, George Tanner was sent off for Bristol City after what was a fairly robust challenge, Justin. Yeah, put put a lot into that, didn't he? Um, uh, he looked... He looked shocked at himself when <laughs> when he made the challenge, um, but yeah, it was a, certainly a, a definite red card. I think there was it was late, so there was excessive force. I think it was a, just a, a tick box of what a red card is, um, really. Um, hopefully, Maxi isn't too um, isn't feeling the effects too much. I think they said they'll keep an eye on him, um, so hopefully, it's not too much. But he managed to see out the game, albeit limping. So, yeah, definite red card. And again, if you look at the definition of a red card. Um, that was it. He he was literally <laughs> limping around the pitch, wanting yeah. for the past for the last five minutes of the game because they didn't have any subs left, so they had to leave him on the pitch, uh, just walking around very slowly. Um, but he went flying from that challenge, didn't he? And it, it was very very bad. But Bristol City fans will be keen for us to point out: Ollie Norwood was perhaps a lucky boy with the challenge he did. He didn't even get carded for it. I don't think it would have been interesting to see what VAR would have thought of that. Uh, one and would have also been interesting to see what VAR would have done with the goal because Billy Sharp was offside when the mm-hmm. cross went in. He didn't go for it, but he is impacting play. So Bristol City weren't just unlucky with how well they played, but how decisions went against them as well. But it is back-to-back wins for the Blades after going six games without a victory and they look to be back on track, don't they? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Not It's not a vintage performance by any means, but it's one where they had to dig deep. Um, it's one where they obviously saw the game out. If you look at the end of the game, for example, you've got Indai limping, McAtee limping, um, and they still saw the game out. McBurney dropped into midfield. They wanted that three points. They were desperate for that three points. And again, a bit like Burnley, um, you show certain characteristics of a team wanting promotion, dying for promotion, or you know, Warnock's there are thereabouts you've got to effing die for three points and that's what Sheffield United did I thought um, they, they really put themselves in and I think um, as well Heckenbottom deserves credit for changing the shape early in the game he took Kadra off after 30 minutes um, and dropped in die into uh, into the midfield which, which ended up paying dividends Sheffield United v Burnley this Saturday lunchtime. What a huge game that is in the race for promotion. A proper thigh rubber, if ever there was one. Right now, let's take a quick break just now for that. We'll talk about Coventry beating Blackburn and Watford beating Cardiff.
Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Despite concern over whether this game would even be going ahead, more on that later, Coventry beat Blackburn 1-0 thanks to a first half goal by Jamie Allen. If I speak, I'm in big trouble. Thoughts on this one, Justin? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know whether I can lend any thoughts on it now because I know where you're going to go with it. Um, I thought Coventry were, were brilliant here. I thought they were fantastic. Um, I thought that the goal that they scored was was well worked. I do think because of Jamie Allen's lack of goals over the years, his celebrations aren't quite up to scratch because his celebration at the weekend was subpar, slightly better one today, uh, today um, this week, um, but not not quite to my standard. But yeah, Blackburn, underwhelming, I would say. Um, didn't create too much. Very, very second teamish um, in this game. Um, but I'll let you. I'll let you go away with it because you've clearly you clearly need to get it off your chest. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Justin. Coventry were the better side, Justin. You're absolutely right. It was a deserved three points for them. Simple as that. What Blackburn do in games is not create many chances, but often rely on the likes of Ben Barrett and Diaz being extremely clinical. This was one of those games where he wasn't, and that's just what Blackburn do. That's why I continue to believe that they won't be up near the top of the table as the season progresses. In fairness, maybe I haven't given enough credit for the fact that they're up there in the first place because that does deserve praise. And winning four games on the bounce doesn't just happen by chance. And I really like the Morton-Wharton combo in midfield of a two young lads who have been absolutely fantastic this season. So I will give credit where it's due to an extent, but I will continue to die on this hill that Blackburn have been fortunate because I've seen so many games where they haven't played well compared to ones where they have. This Coventry game was a prime example of where they didn't play well and it seems to be coming quite a regular thing for Blackburn uh, and even in games where they have won, they haven't played particularly well apart from a handful of games. Uh, But it is remarkable, Justin, how for many years now, Mark Robbins has still got this Coventry team picking up results no matter whatever turmoil is happening off the pitch. Most other teams would let it affect them. And I don't think we'd have blamed Coventry if it did happen, but it just doesn't with this club. And I think that's fairly remarkable. Yeah, I completely agree. Do you know what's better about that situation is that Mark Robbins said after the game that players are vomiting at half time. There's a sickness bug going around the, um, the camp, which I think if you put in that level of display... And you've got players thrown up in their hands. I don't know if that's the true, by the way. They probably went to the toilet. Doubt that was the case. But still, the image is quite interesting. Um, if you've got players throwing up in their hands at half-time um, and still wanting to to, to play and, and keep going, I think it's fantastic. If Adzium was turned away from the ground, um, he um, he uh, had a temperature and medical advice that he's not allowed to play over temperature, um, but he still wanted to come in and play. It's just Robbins over the years has recruited a team with the perfect personalities um, and there's clearly quality in there as well. Just a, a really good balance and blend of um, yeah, good recruitment, good coaching. They just need um, they just need a bit more investment. Watford have won three games on the bounce now after beating Cardiff two one. Watford were a goal down before coming back in this one, but then two set pieces earned them the three points here, Justin. Yeah, it wasn't a, a good all-round performance by any means. But again, they, they come from a goal down. They win the third game on the trot. I think it's massive, massive steps forward for Watford. And again, if if you're a team that are, are winning and not particularly playing well, but you're still the better team in the game, um, then it's a good place to be. I think 
what that indicates is there's a lot more to come from this Watford team. Um, again, there was a couple of good exchanges of play. It's just about doing that consistently throughout uh, uh, the 90 minutes. And I think um, the more this uh, the more this team gets time with Billich, um, I think they will improve. It's just whether or not they've got the depth to, to, to be able to do it throughout the course of the season, which is the argument that I have for... Um, for Watford but again as I say how far do you have to go back to find out the last time they won three on the trot I think the last time they won back-to-back games was 18 months ago um, before last week Um, and obviously it was the first time they did it this season so this is massive building blocks for Watford it was an impressive win against a good Cardiff team Um, they they scored from a couple of set pieces as well so yeah big big pluses there for, for Watford and Billich. Well, after the game, Slavin Bilic said, I'm pleased we scored two goals, but we should be scoring more. What was missing was a cutting edge. And I'm guessing from your um, noise you just made then, Justin, that you agree with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they've got the quality to do it. You look at the players they've got in that final third when all fit. Bayo, Davis, um, Semmer, obviously Pedro and Saar. There's a lot of quality in that final third. Espria, you know, he's, he's going to go through the motions. But there's so much quality in that final third. I'm not surprised that Bilic wants more out of them. Um they, they do need that cutting edge, but I do think they are a team who have lacked confidence, have lacked structure, have lacked um, organisation to an extent, and they're finally just starting to come around that corner, which is a good place to be. And I'm sure it will come under Bilic. I am sure I, I was wrong in saying he was um, a, a bad appointment or just a appointment out of thin air. He is a good coach. I do have to give him credit. I think he will, as I say, given time, will turn his Watford team around and, and get them scoring as, as he wants is worth mentioning they have been missing Keenan Davis who I think is such an important player for them just in the way that he knits that forward line together and it means that the likes of Pedro for example have someone to bounce the ball off so I think he is crucial and the fact that they've been winning games without him is impressive but I think if Bilic wants more goals then getting him back in the team will certainly go some way to doing that Huddersfield are back on the bottom of the table after losing 2-0 to Sunderland not a bad performance by Huddersfield. They were probably the better side here, actually. A 2-0 possibly flatter Sunderland, but they did take the chances and that doesn't help their current plight, does it? No, it's, you know, what, what is the case there? Is it confidence? Is it, um, you know, bad forward play? I do think they are getting into good areas. Probably could do, you know, obviously not as good as last season, um, but they are getting good chances away and, and perhaps they need a, a couple of those chances to go in because I think it was Rodoni in the first half, swivel on the edge of the box, forced a good save out of the keeper. Um, there are there are moments here, there are good moments from Huddersfield, but you do have to worry whether or not they can sustain the conversion because, like I said at the weekend, Nakayama's goal was the first goal from open play under Mark Fotheringham. Didn't score again here. It's a major, major worry, um, a major, major worry, but... I think Tony Mowbray said it after the game, if Huddersfield play like that, they'll stay up. I mean, if they play like that, they won't score any goals, clearly. Um, but I do see where he's coming from. It was a good, it was a good, oh, it was a better performance from Huddersfield, but they need more. They need more to get out of the situation they're in because it's a dire situation. Well, they lacked any cutting edge in the final third. And I think that comes down to their transfer window. Sure, the managers they've had may be able to take some of the brunt for it, but you have got to point most of the fingers at the transfer window because, of course, they went the summer losing loads of key players and didn't replace them, quite simply. When you're starting up front with Jordan Rhodes, who, as we all know, isn't the Jordan Rhodes of old, and he's playing on a week-by-week basis, that's not a good start. But then the supporting cast as well. I mean, how many goal scorers are in that in that team in general, Justin, it's not ideal, is it? So 
that's something that definitely needs to be sorted out for Huddersfield in the January transfer window, but I'm not sure it will do because they're not a club who are absolutely splashed for cash, are they? And uh, may have to pull off some remarkable business in the free agent market and possibly the loan market. Alex Pritchard scored against his former club after being booed all game, which must have been pretty nice for him, Justin. Yeah, it was a lovely goal as well, wasn't it? The the passing combinations um, on display there were fantastic and it just highlights the potential Sunderland have got from a footballing perspective to be able to do that. Um, I think obviously it wasn't as good as a team goal against Reading earlier on in the season, but it was it was a very good goal. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If Pritchard's getting booed all game and he, he slides that one in, that would have felt good. But he did underwhelm at Huddersfield, but I'm sure they'd be happy to take him back right now because he's been brilliant for Sunderland this season. Um player that I think deserves a lot of credit as well is Amadiallo, who gets a lot of stick online for his price tag, which he has no bearing on. But he's been brilliant for Sunderland over the past few weeks uh, and past few games. And again, obviously got the goal here, which will be massive for his confidence. Obviously scored against Burnley the other week as well. Has he been £25 million worth, Justin? I thought it was £37 million. I don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore. It was a lot of money. I can say that much. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that Sunderland have got him on their books now, hopefully we will start to see that big priced player that he, he that he was. But good news for Sunderland is that Ellis Sims looks like he's coming back into the fold of things slowly but surely, which is going to be huge for Sunderland having a striker. Um, Josh Tymon gave Stoke a 1-0 win away at Wigan. The Latics have now lost five games on the bounce and I'm very worried about them now, Justin. Yeah, it's concerning, isn't it? Um, the performances have been reasonably good. Uh, or a few of those performances have been reasonably good and probably should have come away with, with something from those games. But nonetheless, five games, uh, losing five games on the bounce is is a major worry. It's a massive, massive um, thing that Liam Richardson has got to overcome. And it's probably the first time in his spell, I mean, just, just um, taken away that season when they were in, in, in administration in League One. It's probably the first time that he's having to deal with this sort of... Um, low confidence situation at Wigan but as I say there are good players there um, they probably just need to, to to be coaxed out a little bit Yeah, he did leave out Anthony Scully and Ashley Fletcher from the squad which I thought was interesting said it was tactical um, but I feel someone like Scully can really provide a spark in that final third especially in tight games like this one um, because Wigan are lacking that at times um, and likewise with Fletcher, perhaps he deserves a, a, a go up front, but I'm not there on the training ground every day um, viewing him either. So yeah, it's a um, major, major worry for Wigan, and I do, I do have concerns about whether they can get, they can get uh, out of this this um, uh, route they're in. Yeah, they they have been pretty poor recently. Mm. I think performances haven't been as reflective in results, um, but still, when you lose five games on the bounce, that's just dreadful isn't it and I think right now I'd be penciling in Wigan and Huddersfield in my bottom three it's it's a bit early to be relegating them in November so it'd be ridiculous for me to say they're down and out but both are without a doubt looking the most likely to go down right now aren't they Wigan earlier in the season were quite good actually weren't they their away form was fantastic but that's dropped off now and their home form has never really been uh, good at all whereas Huddersfield just haven't got going with even with a managerial change mm-hmm. their squad just doesn't look good enough at this point so unless January comes around and really helps them then I'm not sure it will do but we're talking about two teams here who have had really poor summer transfer windows haven't they Wigan just because they haven't brought anyone in um, and then Huddersfield who 
sold all their best players and then didn't bring anyone else in to replace them. So I'm not sure that's going to change in January. And that's why I think I'm looking at Huddersfield and Wigan thinking you two are without a doubt the most likely to go down right now. Things could change because we have still got two over two thirds of the season left. But right now it's without a doubt those two, isn't it? A quick word on Stoke, Justin. Uh, I think time and being back in that team brings him so much balance, so much balance. I think that's him coming back into into fitness is such a massive thing for them uh, because firstly, he's a left-footed uh, wing-back, um, which, as I say, creates width for them. Obviously, got the winner here. Um, this was a, a, a good performance, which will give them confidence. I think they had, like, like Wigan, they lost three games on the bounce coming into it. Their performance against Norwich deserved three points, um, but they'll take this. They'll they'll keep going. And as I say, time and coming back into that team is, is absolutely massive for, for Stoke. Norwich nil, QPR nil. Both goalkeepers were in imperious form here. <laughs> I mean, when, it, when you're an outfield player, you've just got to just take your hat off to your goalkeeper for saying you've just saved us points here. But at the same time, you've got to look at the other goalkeeper and say, that's the bugger who just cost us points. Yeah, I don't know where you sit as a as a outfield player in one of these games where it finishes nil-nil. don't know how it finishes nil-nil, but as I say, both keepers keep, keep either team in it. You just sat there like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? These keepers are too good. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, two big chances for Norwich towards the end of the game. They go begging. Um, QPR, not as, not as productive. But yeah, both keepers in, in imperious form, as you say. Yeah, haven't really got much else to say on this game, Justin. <laughs> uh, Brad Potts' goal gave Preston a one nil win, uh, a one nil win against Swansea. Uh, Preston properly grinded this one out. They went ahead after thirty minutes thanks to a clanger by Harry Darling, and then spent a lot of the second half camped in their own half. Swansea did have some good chances, and Freddie Woodman needed to make some big saves. But considering how poor Preston's home form has been this season, Ryan Lowe won't complain at all. He'll take it, won't he? Oh, well, without doubt. Um, I think, again, the only criticism I could give Preston is they didn't um, score more in the first half. They had so many good chances. Brown got in in between defenders for a header that he fluffed it or mistimed, I should say. Emil Reese had a couple of good chances as well. They should have been two or three up in the first half because Swansea were really flat. They came out in the second half, performed, performed a lot better. But yeah, Ryan though, will, will take a 1-0 win. And obviously it's, it's goals at home, which is which is what they need. And obviously an, an improvement in the home form as well. So yeah, another clean sheet, um, three points. And where are they? Eighth, just a point after top six. It's been a very, I wouldn't say a really good start to season, weirdly. Um, because obviously with all the draws they had. But yeah, they'll certainly take it. Yeah, it's probably, it's one of those occasions, Justin, where you look at the table and you're a bit surprised about how it's, how high a certain mm. team is in the table because based on how the results have been, they just don't feel like they should be that high. <laughs> uh, but Swansea could really do with Joel Pirro getting back into form. He's missed the last few games through suspension but hasn't scored for them since mid-September and you'd expect better from him. Luton v Reading ended goalless. Sonny Bradley's led, Justin. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's tall, isn't he? So he's... You'd assume he's got bendy legs. Not that bendy, though. But thankfully... No one's got legs that bendy. <laughs> thankfully, he's, he's, he's all right. He's not suffered any any damage, um, which is remarkable given the way... Is that and, so? I haven't. I yeah. did not know that. I, I thought yeah. that was been out and out an injury and he'll be on the sidelines for at least months. Yeah, no breaks, no tears. He, he's putting a message out on, on social, which, again, um, the way legs bend not supposed to bend that way I'm not a physiologist by any means or biologist but yeah legs do not bend inwards his did fair play 
well, anyone who's not seen it, he's gone up for a header. A Reading player's gone up with him for the header and he lands so awkwardly. You know what the hind legs of a horse look like? <laughs> it's, it's like that. Oh, it just makes me cringe thinking about it. I don't like it. Um, on a lighter note, there was a strange moment in this game where a Reading coach has shoulder-barged a Luton player while the game was still going on. I have no idea what the context was around that, but... It was, a, it was very interesting. And then finally, in the game at Derby, it finished Birmingham nil, Millwall nil. Justin, sum up this game in five words. Uh, I can't. It's a nil-nil. Um, it's a good result. Is that five words? <laughs> I, can't. I can't. I can't. It was a nil-nil. Close yeah. enough. Right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Coventry are under a transfer embargo while they repay money to HMRC. It's after they were forced to postpone their first three home league games this season as the pitch was ruled unsafe. Chief Exec Dave Body said that caused a significant impact on cash flow. However, repayment is scheduled to be completed by December. Meanwhile, Coventry's home game against Blackburn did go ahead as planned as the Coventry Building Society Arena on Tuesday. It's after there was concern that it would um, because the company which owns the stadium has applied to go into administration. Now, the latest with that is a deal has been accepted to buy the rugby side Wasps, who own the ground. However, that deal doesn't include the stadium. And the preferred bidder to buy the arena is none other than Mike Ashley, according to the BBC. So what that actually means for Coventry, I'm not too sure. But at least it would give some form of security that they will continue playing games in Coventry, Justin. It depends what Mike Ashley's motives are with the stadium. But you'd expect him to want to have a football team playing there. I think the, the, the major positive with... The CBS Arena is that it's obviously a, a concert venue as well, so it pulls in income that way. There's obviously the hotel attached to it as well. It's a really attractive um, venue for a billionaire, I'd imagine, because there's all these different sources of income and you could get it for relatively cheap as well. Um, and obviously when you've got a football team in there, they're going to pull in a lot of money as well. So it does make sense. You just hope that for Coventry's sake, they have a home because, as I said at the weekend... It's just a ridiculous situation they find themselves in on a weekly basis. It is a ridiculous situation. And they've also had those plans to build their own stadium, which I'm not sure off the top of my head whether that's still happening or not now. But there was there were certainly talks of them mm -hmm. building a stadium at the University of Warwick. Yeah. So what, what really happens, I'm not too sure. But if it means Coventry playing games in Coventry that's all that matters isn't it because the fans have been sent all around the country for too long and uh, we don't want to see that happen again Huddersfield fullback Ollie Turton has been ruled out with a long-term ankle injury manager Mark Fotheringham said it might require injury it might require surgery to fix it so we wish him the best of luck and finally Sunderland have banned away fans from bringing coins and vapes into the stadium of light it's after disorder at games earlier in the season away supporters will now be searched before entering the ground and any one with them will be asked to throw them away the changes come into effect from saturday can you do that justin ban I don't, ban people from bringing money into grounds i don't know but if i i don't carry coins um the only coin i carry is my trolley coin and if i lose my trolley coin i will kick off because they are hard to come by and if you go to a shop and you don't have your trolley coin guess what your hands are knackered because you've got to carry baskets and baskets hurt it is a dire situation to find yourselves in when going to a supermarket. But as I say, 
very weird that I mean these stewards might be raking it in <laughs> if they're trying if they're taking <laughs> coins off of people. Um, their Christmas party fund's going to be extensive to say the least. We will just point out we don't actually believe that the stewards are stealing money oh, yeah, from no, away yeah. supporters. <laughs> <laughs> we don't think that is happening. Please don't sue us. But it, it, it does say a lot, Justin, about how brain dead some people are that it's come to this where they're having to yeah. take coins and vapes off people as they come into grounds. And what is the point? You're the reason why I have to take the bottle top off my Coke bottle every time I come into a football ground. Right now, it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep scores as the season goes on this week. It's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the questions with the scores 50-43 to Justin Peach. Just quickly before we begin, I owe you an apology, Justin. Uh, I failed to give you a point for one of your answers last week. Thanks to those who let me know on Twitter. I realised my mistake after listening back to the show. Justin wouldn't have realised because he never listens back. So you actually got seven <laughs> last week, which I think is just about par for the course, isn't it? I thought I got seven last week. I said at the end, I thought well, I got seven. You know what? If you listen back to the podcast like you should do, then you could have <laughs> let me know, couldn't you? But I had to find out for myself. And thank you to our good listeners on Twitter who uh, kindly pointed it out. Um I say kindly pointed out. I would have been quite happy to just plod on with you missing a I'd point been, for I'd next been none week. The wiser. You would have been none the wiser. Listen to the podcast more. Right, Justin, can I have the first player, please? You certainly can. I'm going to go with Clinton Morrison and Cardiff City. Yes. He did not play for Cardiff City. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm using my uh, tactic here of just going in head first with... Uh, my answers and for some reason that one seemed right but I'm willing to just move on to the next one yeah there's one I was least confident about as well anyway uh, Grant Hall and Brighton I know absolutely nothing about Grant Hall's career but I'm going to say yes he did one appearance in 2009 before he went to Spurs weirdly god I, honestly his career has just completely passed me by next one please Justin Thomas Sifka and Blackpool yes he did six appearances in yeah. 2014 in that infamous team where they had about 40 players. Yeah, I, I do remember that one. I think if you asked me about any player who played in that squad, I'd be able to tell you because yeah. I've studied it religiously. I use that squad as a sound point to create these. because yeah. whenever, whenever you're really struggling to find one more, just go straight to Blackpool. <laughs> Next one. Yeah. Marlon King and Wigan. Yes. Yes. That, was, that was quite. He played quite a few games for them, didn't he? Only eighteen appearances on loan in two thousand eight. No, I was going to say that, I definitely remember that one. Interesting, interesting. Let's see if you remember this one. <laughs> Craig you Dawson. Tell me it all. Okay. Craig Dawson. Craig Dawson and Burnley. Now has Justin Peach gone down the route here of just picking the most Brexit player and putting him in the most Brexit team? Oh, he's um, a relatively composed defender for some reason I do remember that happening but am I just thinking of him in Claret and Blue oh this is a really good one because he was at West Brom and then did he go to Watford I'm going to say no are you sure no I'm going to say yes is that your final answer 
No. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> Come on. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm taking way too long on this. I'm going to say no. You're going to say no? Yes. You're going to say yes? I'm saying he didn't play for them. <laughs> You'd be correct. Um, yeah. This was this was one where I was convinced that he played for Burnley. So I had to Google it and I was it, like, okay, yeah. that's going in. <laughs> it does... It does feel like he should have played for Burnley, but I can't picture when it would have happened. Anyway, we spent too long talking about Craig Dawson. Next one, please. Jason Shackle and Stoke. No. Fine answer. Yes. You'd be correct. He did not play yeah. for Stoke. Yeah, I, I don't know when that would have happened. Yeah, you know, he's, he's one of those tall players that could have featured under Pulis. Anyway, Joe Rothwell and Barnsley. No. Incorrect. Four appearances in 2015 on loan. Didn't realise he had a career before Blackburn, to be honest. No, neither, neither did I. Um, <laughs> how many is that, Justin? Is that seven? That, that is... Uh, I've got four more left. Four more left? One, two, oh, OK. Three. Oh, no, I've got three more left. Ooh. Three more left, I was going to yes. say. Um, that means the score is five out of seven for me so far. Mm-hmm. Next one is Lee Peltier and Hull. No. Incorrect. Seven appearances on loan in 2007. See, we did him as a Craig Bryson many moons ago and I could not remember that at all. But Okay, fair enough. Yeah, again, forget he had a career before he was 30 years old, which he did. Very <laughs> true. Yeah. Next one, Sean Derry and Sheffield United. I don't know Sean Derry's career very well. Uh, no. You'd be correct. I was hoping you'd you'd link Neil Warnock into him because he no. was a Neil Warnock disciple later no, in his career. No, I, do, I don't know Sean Derry's career very well, but I didn't really picture him going that far north. I think he'd be for Leeds, so... Mm, fair enough. I should have used that one. Anyway, <laughs> Johnson, Clark, Harris and Rotherham. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah, I remember that. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't. I passed me by. 37 appearances in 2015. Scored six. Yeah. So, because I remember him being quite good for Rotherham and thinking, why is this guy playing for Rotherham? Um, and lo and behold, he's still playing in League One when, well, actually, when he's coming to the Championship, he hasn't done very well recently, has he? So, oh, well, uh, seven out of 10 there for me, Justin. As we say, par for the course. That means the scores is 50 50 uh, as we continue to be. Uh, neck and neck pretty much every week Justin at no point has either of us had a bad week so far and no one's had an extremely amazing week so far we're just very average human beings aren't we your words not mine (laughs) (laughs) shall we get out of here Justin this has been the second tier podcast thank you for listening ladies and gentlemen we really appreciate your listenership every single week and if you would like to take the time to uh, give us a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast on we'll really appreciate it Uh, so give us a rating and a review if you've got a spare minute or so Uh, but yeah as we say thank you for listening and we appreciate your listenership every week this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the weekend's games which are coming up as well as talking about all the news in the championship over the coming days. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Secretary Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.